And we're going to, uh, today, this is kind of a Christmas message, I guess you could say, um, because we are going to talk a little bit about the birth of the Savior. Uh, but it's, uh, and this is more probably, I guess you would say, like a Bible study, which you don't normally do on Sunday mornings. And, uh, but hopefully, uh, you will, uh, get something out of this. And hopefully, you know, Bible studies are not supposed to be boring, but, you know, sometimes they can be. And so pray for me that I don't make it boring because I think this is very, very interesting and very exciting. And, um, in your bulletins, there were, um, some notes in there that you might have gotten. Tommy, Jason, you want to come up here and take some of these? If there's anybody else, if you didn't get one of these papers, um, you can raise your hand. You guys go down and they, they give them to you. I want you to have these because um, I'm going to show you some things today. And listen, there is a lot of things that we can use uh, in the Bible to just prove this Bible is truly the Word of God, that it truly is an amazing book. There's a lot of things um, that, about, throughout the Bible that we can look at that, I mean, just prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ was real. Uh, but today we are just going to look at Jesus in the book of Isaiah. We're going, to, we're going to just use the book of Isaiah, one for time's sake, because if we used all the Old Testament, it would take way too long. Um, Jesus Christ, we see Him prophesied throughout the Old, Old Testament. There is nobody else that has ever lived that it could have fulfilled all those prophecies the way Jesus did. And a lot of what we're going to look at, I think it refutes a lot of what people say about the Bible. People like to say things like, oh, that it's just a book written by a bunch of men. Well, part of that's true. It was written by several different men. However, they were under the inspiration of God. Because I'm here to tell you that no man or no group of men are smart enough to come up with something like this. The book of Isaiah, it was written about in around 740 or 786 B.C. 700 years. The verses we're going to be reading about were written 700 years before Jesus Christ came to this earth. So keep that in mind. And you say, well, the New Testament people, when they put it together, you know, they just, no, I mean, or they, you know, they changed the book of Isaiah later. No, the book of Isaiah, that's why, I mean, there is more proof that that book is, you know, true, that it's historical than any other one. Anybody ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? You ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? I had the privilege of seeing those when I well when I went to Israel we went to what is known as the Shrine of the Book where they keep these scrolls and I was all excited about getting to see these and they have a, I believe the entire a scroll of the entire book of Isaiah and this scroll it dates back to about one, at least a hundred years before Christ so there is a copy of the book of Isaiah in existence still today that says the exact same thing that our, your King James Bible says if you translate it into English. It's the same thing. Our Bible, even I mean, that was translated in 1611, it just happened to line right up with a book that was found from 1,700 years before. That's Once again, how can that happen? Man can't do that. But God promised that He would preserve His Word for us. And so we, you know, those of us who believe that this Bible is without error. We weren't surprised about the Dead Sea Scrolls lining up with what the Bible said. But So understand that on this earth today, for the people, the, the intellectual elite who like to be smarter than everybody else, you know, something we can remind them of is we have a copy of 
this book of Isaiah that dates back to before Jesus Christ was on earth. So the book of Isaiah didn't get distorted later in history to line up with what happened with Jesus Christ. There is so much historical evidence of Jesus it's not even funny. Did you know that you know the said the intelligent crowd out there they will say things like there's no historical evidence of Jesus Christ. Okay, yet we have several books that were written about Jesus Christ. Not just the ones in the Bible. Many other books. Guys like Josephus, he wrote about Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of books. And yet they will go and they will find a carving somewhere in Egypt that says the name of a king. And they will write all kinds of new chapters of history as positive evidence that this king was around 5,000 years ago or whatever. So, there's plenty of evidence. And I want to give you some of these things today. I want to show you some things in the book of Isaiah that are about Jesus Christ and about His birth. And with that in mind, that this was written 700 years before Jesus Christ came to this earth. And I know everybody in here today, I know you're all believers. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You believe He's the Son of God. But you know what? Sometimes there's people out there, there's skeptics out there, there's scoffers out there that like to say something else. And it's nice if you can kind of have the proof yourself. And you can go in case you start having doubts. Because we can have doubts sometimes we're not careful. And when I have doubts, I just go to the Word of God. And sometimes it's nice to show these to other people. To give it to them and say, hey, here's something that you need to read, something that you need to look at, this could not have just happened. And so that's why I wanted to give you those papers. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse 17, it says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying... We see that throughout the book of Matthew. It refers to that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the prophet Isaiah, which was... Isaiah, the same person. And throughout the uh, book of Matthew, whenever these prophecies were being fulfilled, it was always saying, just like it said was going to happen in the book of Isaiah, or in the book of Jeremiah, or in the book of Micah. There's all kinds of... I mean, the, the Old Testament said exactly where the Messiah was going to be born. But anyway, so I want us to look at some of these prophecies today because they are so specific. They are so detailed that it, these aren't Nostradamus prophecies, okay? That I mean, people, they give him a lot of credit, and his things are all vague, and it could mean all kinds of different stuff. These things are specific, and they happen just like the Bible said it would in Isaiah. Because the book of Isaiah, once again, Isaiah wrote it, but he was inspired of God, by God. So Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. A sign. Everybody's always looking for a sign these days. They're always wanting signs. And by the way, we don't need signs today. We have the Word of God. Okay, And God gave us plenty of signs back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that He wrote about. And He said, here is the evidence. And He gave us this Bible. We've got the evidence right here. We don't need to see another sign. Okay, uh, Right now, I believe we're in the age where Jesus talked about a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. We're always wanting something else. We want to see a watermark on a wall somewhere that looks like Jesus or the Virgin Mary or something like that that we can all go and as a sign. We want to see you know a tear coming out of a statue. And that's what people are looking for all the time for spiritual meaning. We don't need that. And it says behold the Lord shall give you the Lord himself shall give you a sign. And listen, when you see a sign, 
from God, it's obvious. Okay, this is something specific. Like if it starts raining right now, that's not a sign. Okay, because that kind of thing happens all the time. Okay, if somebody you know if somebody dies or gets sick, that's not a sign. That happens every day. Okay, but what this sign is, it doesn't happen every day. It only happened one time in history, and it says, "He shall give you a sign." Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The virgin birth of Christ. It was prophesied 700 years before by Isaiah. It was actually prophesied before that in Genesis. God told Satan that the seed of a woman will bruise the head of Satan. Whenever One thing that we know is that there cannot be children born without there being a man and a woman. You've got to have both. That's the way. That's just the way it is. That's how reproduction works. It's the way that God made it. Whenever you see a baby, you know that they got a, there is a mother, and you know that there was a father. We know that. That's just the way it works. Science proves that. But on this, in the book of Matthew, we read about the Virgin Mary who never known a man. And when the angel came and told her that she was with child, she asked, how can this be? Saying, I know not a man. We see that fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew 1, verse 18. We'll go and read that real quick. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as His mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. It was, this child was conceived of the Holy Ghost, a virgin giving birth to a son. That does not happen every day. We see women have babies all the time, but they all have a, they all have a father. The Bible, the Bible prophesied that. Isaiah prophesied it 700 years before it even happened. That's pretty specific right there. Listen, the Bible, there is a prophecy that says he'd be born in Bethlehem. But there's a lot of kids born in Bethlehem. And there's a lot of kids been born all over the place, but it gets specific. It says the Lord's going to give you a sign. A virgin is going to conceive. That doesn't happen every day. But it did happen that day, and it's the only time it's ever happened. But then also, another thing, this is pretty pretty specific, I guess. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2 says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. And the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Right here, Jesus is prophesying about the Messiah's ministry in Galilee, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. That was where they lived. Around that sea of Galilee, people who dwelled in darkness, they saw a great light. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 16. If you, if you read through the Gospels, we see Jesus constantly. Much of his ministry was in that area, just like the Bible said. Why it was there, that wouldn't have been the area I would have picked. I would have thought most of it would have been in Jerusalem. But it's interesting too how it says the people that dwelt in darkness saw a great light. It says in Matthew 4, verse 12, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast in prison, he departed into Galilee 
And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast and the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, which is Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. Right there, it was prophesied. Now understand that these people, when these things happened, they didn't realize the prophecy was just being fulfilled. Many years later, when they were writing the gospel and when they were, uh, you know, writing all this stuff down, they got to thinking back about some of them Old Testament prophecies, and they're like, you know what? That's exactly what the Book of Isaiah said. That he was much of his ministry was going to be around there. The people that dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. That is the place, the Sea of Galilee, that area, that region of, of Naphtali and Zebulun. That is the place where Jesus preached that Sermon on the Mount, where he said, I am the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. That was the place where he said that. I've been to the, I've been to the Sea of Galilee. I've seen that place. You go there and it's, the Galilee, it sits down there low and it's kind of surrounded by mountains and you can see the different cities all over there. You can see, uh, the towns that are all around there, especially at night. You can see those lights shining. And it, it was even like that back then. Jesus pointed it out. But spiritually, this land was in darkness. But when Jesus went there, there were thousands that were saved. Much of his ministry was in that area, just like Isaiah prophesied. This is the big world. Jesus, the Messiah, he could have went all kinds of different places. Israel is a big country for back in those days when you had to walk everywhere, and there was a lot of places he could have went. But much of his Galilee was his ministry was in Galilee, just like it said. But also this and this prophecy, I think, is very specific because it's not something you would expect. Because this one's about the Messiah in Isaiah chapter fifty-three, verse three. It prophesied his rejection by the Jews. Now, why would the Jews reject the Messiah? The Messiah was the one they were waiting for. The Messiah was the one that they've been talking about, that they had been praying for. They were they've been praying for years for the coming of Messiah. They were in captivity with Rome during this time. They wanted the Messiah. They wanted him. They needed him more than ever. But yet. They rejected him. And it says in Isaiah 53, verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In John 1.11, the Bible says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, He gave them power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in His name. The Jewish people... He was the Jews' Messiah. They rejected Him. And that's why um, most of the uh, Christian ministry went out to the Gentiles. The Jews rejected Him. It didn't make sense that they would do that. I mean, the people back then, they had to look at that and think, no, that, that couldn't happen. But that's exactly what happened. And there were some people, many Jews, that figured it out. They looked at that and they looked, you know, the Bible did prophesy. It said that we were going to His own was going to reject him. And they did. They took him. And it was the it was the Romans that put him on the cross, but they did it. Uh, it was the Jews that gave him over to the Romans. It was the Jews that cried out, crucify him, crucified him. They uh, they rejected him just like it was prophesied 
700 years earlier. Nobody back then would have ever thought of that. When the book of Isaiah was written, it was a very difficult time for the children of Israel. And when you're talking about the Messiah and saying He's going to be rejected by you, they had to be thinking, no way. During the time that it happened, they had to be thinking, there's no way. But it's exactly what happened. But also, the wisdom of the Messiah was prophesied about. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Notice, notice all that it says about him there. And then in Luke chapter 2, Verse 46-52, uh, you may remember the story. Every year, they would go to uh, Jerusalem to worship and there was one time they went there, Mary and Joseph, and on the way home, they realized that they were missing a child. Anybody ever done that before? You uh, left somewhere and it's like, wait a minute, something's missing here. <laughs> we're, we're missing one. Well, imagine back then. That would have really been tough. You couldn't get on your cell phone and call. And they frantically, I don't know how far away they were for sure, but they were, they were a ways away. And they had to go back and they find Jesus, and in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, it says, And it came to pass that after three days they found Him in the, uh, in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. So three days it took them to find Him, so they were pretty frantic. And all that heard Him were astonished at His understanding and answers. This 12-year-old boy, he's... Like I said, this is... The Messiah. This is God in human form. And listen, I don't believe that Jesus, from the time He was born to the time He died, knew everything, even though He was God. He was human too. He had to eat. He had to sleep. He had, you know, he had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to talk and do all those things. But He did it without the sin nature. And so therefore, He far excelled above normal man. And these people, they were probably talking to him, you know, hey, you know, notice he was lost, I don't know how it happened. But people started noticing there's something different about this boy. And then all the doctors and the wise people, they get around him and Jesus is asking them questions. He's learning, he's asking questions that most twelve year olds aren't asking. It was very clear, and he's giving them answers. It was clear that there was something special about this boy. Just like Isaiah prophesied that he was going to be special, the Spirit of the Lord was going to be upon him, and he was. And he, I mean, people were baffled just by talking to him. But also, Jesus' silence when he was accused. Isaiah chapter fifty-three, verse seven. This, you know, I guess we shouldn't be amazed, or we shouldn't be surprised. I guess when Jesus does things that are totally contrary to what we would do. But this is this is an amazing thing, you know. When I when you get accused of somebody, when you get challenged on something, it's our nature. Like if somebody says you can't do something, what do we want to do? We want to go do it. Like, ah, oh, you don't think I can? All right, here, watch this. I'm going to do it. That's just that's our nature. We've got to prove ourselves right all the time. In Isaiah 53 verse seven, it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought out as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was like he was like a sheep when he went to be tried and when he went to be crucified. If we were to take a sheep in here, I could I could be walking with it with a knife, 
And I could be saying, hey, I'm going to slit your throat. I'm going to kill you. And it's not going to say anything. It's not going to care. A sheep, they're not smart enough to know that they're in big trouble. And let me tell you, Jesus knew what He was about to go through. But He was like that sheep, just like the Bible said. He was silent before His accusers. It says in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26, verse 62. It says, And the high priest arose and said unto Him, Answereth thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held His peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting in the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered, and he said, He is guilty of death, and they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? And so Jesus, right, he basically quotes them some prophecy, and they start accusing him of blasphemy. They knew that he wasn't guilty. They knew he didn't deserve to die, but Jesus Christ, he went silent because he knew he needed to die. He knew he needed to go to that cross. And also he knew that it was determined in their hearts that they were going to kill him and it didn't matter what he said at all. But he was, he was silent. He stood there while they blindfolded him and they buffeted him. It means they beat him. They blindfolded him and one would punch him in the face and they would say, prophesy, who was it that hit thee? He could have told him, but he didn't. He stood there and he took it. They spit on him while he was hanging on the cross. Said, if thou be the thou be the Christ, get yourself off the cross. And he didn't do it. He took the beating. That that's not what a normal man does. That's not what any of us would do. But he wasn't a normal man. He was the Son of God. And Isaiah prophesied that that is exactly what was going to happen. And that had that had to puzzle the people. Because that goes against our nature. Because our nature is a sin nature. Jesus didn't Jesus didn't have that and he was silent to his accusers. It said that he would be smitten and spat upon in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6 and we we just read about that in Matthew it said they spit on him. but it says it says in Isaiah chapter uh, we'll go ahead and read it chapter 50 verse 6 why would you spit on the Messiah? It says I gave my back to the smiters. They beat him with the cat of nine tails. So in my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, I hid not my face from shame and spitting. That's something that nobody, nobody wants. Nobody wants to be spit on. That's disgusting. It's humiliating. And here we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, who did nothing but good to these people, who did nothing but love them, and He stood there and He took it while they spit in His face. I think that's one of the reasons so many of them must have doubted. They must have thought, you know, if if because they're all thinking, hey, if I was the Messiah, I'd I'd, bring, I'd get myself off the cross. If I if it was me, I would. If I was innocent, I would be pleading my defense. I would be trying. I'd be trying to prove these people wrong. I would prophesy. I would do all these things. But they didn't understand. They, there was a lot of the prophecy. There was a lot of the scriptures. They didn't understand that Jesus Christ needed to go to the cross. Like I said when we talk about how the Jews put them there, there there's been groups 
in history who have claimed to be Christians who have hated the Jews because of this. And they have used this as an excuse to go after the Jews, guys, like Hitler. But let me tell you something. Us Gentiles and us as individuals, we are just as guilty as the Jews are. Jesus had to go to the cross in order for me to be saved and for you to be saved. So, yeah, the Jews put Him there on the cross, but it was our sins that put Him there. Jesus could have got out of that just like that. He could have called angels to come and wipe them out and take Him off that cross. He could have done that. But He didn't because of you and me. So don't ever, don't ever let anybody get you anti-Jew. God still loves those the Jews. They're still His chosen people, and we need to we need to love them. We need to pray for them, and because uh, it was us that put Him on the cross, and uh, Hitler never understood that, and that's why Hitler never got saved. Amen. He wanted to blame the Jews instead of blaming himself. He wanted to blame all the people in the world that he thought was less than him instead of recognizing that he was a sinner too, just like the rest of them. And if people in any culture has any problem, it can be fixed by Jesus Christ. And uh, that, but so don't ever let you know. If people try to tell you that Christianity has started all these wars, no, no, that that's not Christianity. Going after Jews because they killed Jesus that doesn't make any sense. That's just pure wickedness. But that's kind of a side note there. But the Bible said that he'd be smitten, he'd be spat upon. Also, his uh, him suffering vicariously for us. Isaiah chapter fifty-three. Remember, a lot of times we forget when we read these prophecies, and even when we read the New Testament, there were so many things that they didn't understand yet. They didn't have the completed Word of God, and so. Um, I mean, it really is an amazing thing when we look and see how these things connect and how they go together. But Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 says, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted us as a smitten of God. Understand that while it was man that crucified Him, while it was man that beat Him, that was a necessary sacrifice that God sent Him to the earth to pay. So we could have hope of eternity. We cannot forget that. We cannot forget. We cannot forget that. That payment, Jesus Christ on the cross, that was for us. He suffered in our place, and that's what exactly what Isaiah said was going to happen. And unfortunately, they didn't pay attention to that. They didn't notice that. But we see in Mark chapter fourteen, verse sixty-five. Mark fourteen, verse sixty-five says, and some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, prophesy, and the servants did strike him with the palm of their hands. That suffering that he that once again that another passage about that, that was for us. That was not for anything he did. That was for us. When we see Jesus on the cross, it is a horrible sight. Uh, when we the way the Bible portrays it, it's not like on most of the movies you see. It's not like on the little crucifixes you see, where he's bleeding a little bit and looking kind of peaceful. It was a horrible, brutal, disgusting way to die. And he and that when we see that, when we read about it, but what we always what we should be doing is picturing because that's a picture of our sin and what we deserve. And we and it ought to cause us and what it ought to cause us to do is to be sorry for our sins and to repent of our sins and call on God for salvation. I tell you, I don't know how anybody could read 
the Gospels and the stories of the crucifixion and think that they can get to heaven by their own good works. I don't understand that at all. That price that Jesus paid was a great price and it was for us. It was also prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53 that He was going to be crucified with the sinners. It says in 53 verse 12, Therefore will I divide Him a portion with the great, and He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because He hath poured out His soul unto death, and He was numbered with the transgressors, and He bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Notice when Jesus Christ died on that cross, He wasn't alone. There was one on His right hand and there was another on His left hand. He was crucified with two thieves. He was crucified with two men that were not being martyred. These were men who deserved to die for their sins. Who One of them even admitted that He deserved to die. Matthew 8, verse 16, When the even was come, they brought unto Him many that were possessed with devils. Oh, that's, a, that's not the right one. I must... I wrote the wrong passage down. But you know the story. He was crucified between two thieves. The one on Jesus' left hand, they looked at Him and He said, hey, if you are the Christ, get yourself down and take us with you. You know why? He wasn't sorry for His sin. He was sorry He was being punished. He was sorry He got caught. And He wanted out of that punishment. The other man on Jesus' right hand, He said, He said, this man had done nothing. And we're here because we deserve it. He understood that. And he looked at Jesus Christ and he didn't say, Jesus, get me off the cross. He said, Lord, remember me when thou goest into thy kingdom. You know what he was doing? He was just calling on, he was calling on Jesus for salvation. That was a salvation prayer. I don't know if you realize that. He had just told the other guy, hey, we deserve to be here. He knew he was a sinner. He was sorry for his sins. But what he did there is he called on the only one that could save him. It happened to be the guy right next to him. He called on Jesus Christ and said, just remember me. He didn't know how to pray. He didn't do a fancy prayer. He didn't know all the words to say. He just said, remember me. When thou goest in thy kingdom, Lord, will you think about me? And Jesus said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. That man got saved. That man never got to do a single good work for Christ. He never got to join a church. He never got baptized. He never did any of those things. But he did call on God, Jesus Christ, for salvation, and he saved him. The Bible said that he would be crucified with the sinners. Also, and this is another one that's really specific, that is interesting. That people they realize that later, after the fact, Isaiah chapter fifty-three, verse nine. When these things happen, like in the, in the Muslim religion, they have some prophecies that they'll read about, and they go. And they try on purpose to fulfill those prophecies. And, you know, usually doesn't work out too good. And then, and even some Christian people will try doing that sometime. They try fulfilling prophecies. And you know what? Uh, every time we ever see that in the Bible, people trying to fulfill a prophecy, it didn't work. It, they always messed it up. They did it wrong. But in these stories, they weren't doing this to fulfill a prophecy. They were doing it because it was already already prophesied about. And later, when they went back and they were writing about this, they pointed out, hey, this is fulfillment of this prophecy. This is fulfillment of that prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, it says, And He made His grave with the wicked and with the rich in His death, because He had done no violence, neither was any deceit in His mouth. 
It says that with the rich, that He be buried with the rich. You know, it, the place where Jesus was buried, it's just right around the corner. It's, it's connected to the hill, Mount Calvary. That tomb that He was laid in, it was the tomb of a rich man. They can tell today by that, by the fact that it was carved out of rock. It was carved out of rock. And it was it was a pretty good sized one. It was in it was in a beautiful garden. And only rich people had tombs like that. And we know the Bible says Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man. It was a tomb that he had made for himself. He was planning on using it himself. But you know what? He let Jesus Christ borrow it. And I say borrow because he didn't use it for very long. He was only there for three days. And after three days, he rose again, buried with the rich. See, specific things like that. It's just, it, that kind of thing cannot happen by accident. It can't. These aren't vague, just out there can mean anything prophecies. These are specific ones just from the book of Isaiah. Those are the only ones we covered. Just from the book of Isaiah. And Jesus came along and fulfilled those. There's been nobody else that has come close to fulfilling those prophecies. There's nobody you can look at in history that's done that. Only Jesus Christ has. And really, to be in denial of that, you really have to ignore a lot of stuff. We have people today who with all their heart, they believe in the Big Bang Theory because a scientist said so. Nobody, we don't know any, nobody was there that saw it happen. It was 50 million years ago. You know, we can't, there's no proof for it. There's no historical evidence that anybody's written down. But yet, I just can't bring myself to believe in Jesus Christ. With all the history we have, with all these specific prophecies, like I said, this didn't get put together after Jesus Christ. The, the book of Isaiah, it was written 700 years before. We, there is a copy on earth today that you can go and look at that was written a hundred years before any of these things were fulfilled. There is nothing else like that. There is no other book in the world like this book. It's an amazing book. It's detailed. It's accurate. Why? Because it's not just a book written by a bunch of men. It's the Word of God that was written by men inspired of God. God moved them to write what they wrote. And it fit together because God is the author. We, any of you in here today, we, if every one of you in here today were to write a thousand page report of everything that took place in here, who all was here, where they sat, what they did, what I preached about, all those things, there's going to be a lot of conflicting things in there. You know why? Because we're people. We're not, we're, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We get things wrong. That's what men do. And that happens in books and it happens in history all the time. But it has it didn't happen in this book. Because this is the Word of God. And the birth of Jesus Christ, the reason that was is so exciting, not just because besides the fact that He's our Savior, well that was the main reason that we celebrate that, but it was exciting because it fulfilled so many specific prophecies. It was the sign that everybody's looking for. I'm looking for a sign. The Lord gave us a sign. A virgin conceived and gave birth to a son. His name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. God Himself came to this earth and He lived among us for 33 years. But because we were sinners, we rejected Him. We put Him on a cross. 
But He did it. We found out later. He went there on purpose because He was paying the price for our sins. He was paying the penalty. And if we'll call on Him for now for salvation, He'll save us. And if you've never done that, I hope you'll do it. Listen, don't trust me, but trust God's Word. You can mark it down. If it says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And you know what? There's a lot of prophecies in Isaiah that haven't happened yet. Some of them are pretty scary. Some of them are exciting. And you know what? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna guess and say, you know what? If all those other prophecies came to pass, I think those other ones are too. And why? Because this is the word of God. It's impossible for God to lie. So let's all stand together with the heads bowed and eyes closed.